0: Our guest today joins us all the way from New York City. So we have a kind of Old York to New York vibe going on. She's worked closely with one of the most iconic supermodels of our time, and her brand works with one of the most precious materials in the perfumers palette. So please join me in offering a very warm welcome to the founder of Strange Love Perfumes, Elizabeth Gaines. Hi, Elizabeth.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Really looking forward to talking to you about these scents. Oh, good year. So tell me, how did Strange Love come to be? Okay, that's an easy one.
1: (laughs) How much time do you have? No, I'll make it (laughs) for you. So, in about 2010, I just moved to New York, and a dear friend of mine, who I'd worked with before, asked me if I would help with her family business, in um, which was which is in Borneo in Southeast Asia. And they had a series of sustainable farms and she wanted some help in raising awareness for sustainable farming and also looking into um, new product development on their farms because the the climate in Borneo is like the Garden of Eden, just about anything grows. So I worked with her. It was fascinating to me. Um, I flew over right away because I, I, first of all, I had to look on a map where Borneo was (laughs) And then I thought, oh my God, what a great adventure. So I flew over there. And um, among some of the crops they were growing, besides exotic fruits and teas, they were creating teas, they had an agarwood tree uh, farm, a sustainable one. And that was like my first introduction to the power of oud. And I fell madly in love with it. I learned about the The sustainability, the replanting, the distillation of the oud, the different kinds of grades of oud, how it gets better with age. It was all fascinating to me. So I worked with her for three years, and part of our um, marketing to raise awareness for sustainable farming, we created uh, an oil and we used some of the oud in it. And we gave it out at um, a conference called the TED Conference in. which was in Long Beach at the time. And that was in 2010. When that, when people got a tiny sample of that, that just people wouldn't stop calling me, emailing me, trying to find where they could buy it. And I'd had such an amazing three years going back and forth between Borneo. And um, we were, we were working with the, the top two fragrance houses in the world, which were both based in Geneva. And they both wanted to um, develop some kind of um, perfume ingredient farm. And mostly because, of course, everything grows there, but also because we are sustainable. So and their customers were starting to ask more and more about transparency. So I'd go back and forth between Geneva and Borneo. We talked to Juvedon, we talked to Firminich, and we ended up um, doing and an agreement with Juvedon, we created a 600 acre patchouli farm and also a vetiver farm. And we supplied them uh, exclusively with patchouli and vetiver. And it was great for them because we were able to give them full transparency and we could also give them sustainable pricing, which hadn't been done in the past, for especially for patchouli. So I my time in Geneva in the offices, I would just explore and talk to the perfumers and go into the labs and then talk to the marketing people. And I just sort of immersed myself in the world of fragrance. And I I decided that the, the part that I liked was the independent fragrance house. And when I started to get all this, you know, amazing feedback on our first oil. I knew that I wanted to start an independent house and with the core values being obviously sustainability, that's where everything came from with me, but also using the most exquisite and rare ingredients that I could find and not worry about the cost of it, which was unheard of, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's how I got started. And my, the, that first oil was um, turned, it, turned into dead of night. And that was our first scent that we launched in
0: Harrods in the Salon de Parfum in
1: 2014.
0: Mm. And and how did you come to work with Helena Christensen? I mean, I sort of imagine she's not the sort of person you bump into at your local, you know, corner shop,
1: <laughs> or in Borneo on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, it's a really cute story. Actually, when I moved to New York, I'd been living in Rome, Italy. And um, then I brought my son. He was five years old. We left Rome and we moved to New York. And I put him in a cute little school in the West Village. And he came home after about the first couple of days of school and asked me if he could please, mommy, please, can I have a play date with Mingus's mother? And I said, "Uh, who's Mingus's mother? And he goes, you know, the really tall, pretty woman. (laughs) And I said, oh, you mean Helena Christensen? And he said, "Uh uh-huh. So I was like, okay, I need to go approach Elena Christensen and ask for a play date. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, and she was amazing, amazing woman. And she, because our boy, boys were such great friends, we became great friends. And through the course of the three years that I was back and forth to Borneo, um, she would be over often with her son, and I would be coming back from Borneo and have the oils that we were uh, working on. And that's how she became really interested and, um, immersed in oud. And she said to me, if you ever want to do something with this and start your own fragrance house, please, can I please be part of it? (laughs) I thought, wow. (laughs) So she, I asked her if she wanted to be our creative director. And she said that was perfect because both of us agreed that, you know, we didn't want to be a celebrity fragrance, you know, that's like a whole other kind of, um, different level of fragrances. We really wanted to stand alone on our actual perfume and the ingredients and the combinations that, that we create. So she is actively involved with me. When we create a new fragrance, we get together, we talk about what, what kind of fragrance we want. We sort of list the ingredients that we'd like to see in it. Then we come up with a storyboard and then we'll work with a perfumer Um, through all the iterations of the samples until we feel like it's, it's right. And, um, and then she helps me, you know, we work on the names together, she's been involved in the package, everything that a creative director does, she's, she's been a huge part of it. And, um, and I feel like she really embodies like our you know, our scent, which I I kind of sum up in as authentic luxury, mm. definitely that she's very cool and very honest, and her huge amount of integrity, and we mm. and lovely and funny.
0: <laughs> I I just love that it was it's a partnership that's born out of friendship as well, rather than just yeah. a kind of really cold business relationship. But yeah. yeah, there's something really nice about it being you know a friendship that blossomed into this fantastic business that's really cool
1: it's very true we have a lot of fun together and she's so supportive you know I mean she's really madly in love with with strange love and and she just contributes so much to it so yeah it's great and it's been years now look I met her in 2008 almost 14 years we've been
0: friends which is great Mm. yeah fantastic um and why did you decide to work with Christophe Laudemiel um what was it about his work that you know, kind of made you think, yeah, he's the perfumer for us?
1: Uh, so it's interesting. Another interesting story. Another mother at the school it was obviously a very good school to go to. <laughs> um, she actually owned an art gallery in Chelsea in New York. And one of the artists that she was representing was Christophe. Because he does these art installations in, you know, in galleries or in, in big public spaces. And so she introduced me to Christophe. And, um, and I really liked his sense of adventure and he's a little bit of a rebel and I didn't want to create anything that was like normal in common. I wanted to create fragrances that push the boundaries of what people are used to. And um, I took that first oil that we had created for our marketing purposes. And we started with that, working on that. And um, I just like the way that he really doesn't have any boundaries, you know, like and he pushes, he'll push Helena and I too. And sometimes we'll push back because at the end of the day, we want a fragrance that people love and not just a fragrance that shocks them. <laughs> so, yeah. so we have a good working relationship that way. And he's been, um, obviously he's, you know, he's a, a he's brilliant.
0: Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Um, So one of the cornerstones of the Strange Love brand is that all your fragrances um, use Oud, which Mm -hmm. people who are not not familiar with the brand might not have realised. So let's talk a little bit more about Oud. And I know that you've got a really interesting track record um, with how you came to Oud. And, you know, you you touched on it yourself about the ageing process of Oud. Could you give us a bit of a dummy's guide to Oud for people who aren't, you know, totally affair with it as a material
1: sure but I would never call you a dummy (laughs) most people don't know anything about oud so um oud is a cherished ingredient in the Middle East mostly in the Middle East but it goes as far back as Japan and I mean the the story is the fable is that um that uh, that Adam and Eve were living in the garden, which was in Southeast Asia. And then when Eve ate the apple and they got kicked out, they took some of the leaves from the agarwood tree and they sprinkled them all through sort of Southeast Asia. And they started to grow there because it was a magical tree. Um, and another theory is that some of the trees that were growing in Southeast Asia, the branches had um, broken off somehow and had just drifted in the water and ended up um, landing on the beaches of Japan. And when they smelled the fragrant wood, that was sort of the, the founding smell for incense. So I can't sust- substantiate any of that, obviously. I can with the Adam and Eve story, but (laughs) no, but that's what some of the rumors are. And it's just become a a very cherished spiritual scent that is built into the culture of generations and generations of people in the middle East. And as far as India and Japan, like I said, um, it's, it's sort of um, they not only spray the perfume, but they also take the bark and they burn that, and they infuse their clothes. So they'll hang their clothes over the smoke as it's coming off the agarwood bark, and that will infuse their clothes. So it's really fully integrated into their their culture. Mm. Um, and but part of the issue with that the agarwood tree, which is why this family in Borneo just started to create sustainable farms, is that the tree that has the the oud in it There, it, there's only about one in every 10 that grow in the wild that actually develop the resin and that's they need to be infected by some kind of an insect or microbe and then it builds up the resin and then the resin is what you distill to get the oil and so the trees were very popular and expensive so there were poachers going into the rainforest chopping down the trees trying to find the tree that had the resin, they could get upwards of a hundred thousand dollars for a tree, you know, depending on the age of the tree. Mm -hmm. And um, so to fight against this, um, this uh, devastation of the rainforest, this is what this family and some, there's other farms now that are doing sustainable farming. And the way what they do now is they've developed a way to um, treat the tree. So it now creates its own resin, so they don't have to be chopping down 10 trees for every one that has resin in it. And then they have a regular replanting of the trees that they use, that they distill.
0: Mm. And so, the, the different the, grades. So how do the different grades
1: come about? So it it's based mostly on age. The older the oud, the more expensive it is. But it's also based on the region that it comes from. So some is from India, some is from Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, you know, Borneo. And it, it, it and a lot of things factor into it. It's like a wine, you know, every year is different depending on the weather and, um, and depending on the region where the grapes are grown. So you can sort of compare it
0: that way, I think. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. And, you know, sustainability is also something that's really important to your brand and something that you've, you've already touched on. But I wonder... Is there a, a danger that, you know, generally speaking, demand for oud will outstrip the natural oud resources that are, are out there? And do you think as a result, we'll see more of this sustainable farming or is that going to be under threat as well? Really good question. Um, I think that, first of all,
1: the majority of the fragrances that have oud in them, um, they use a synthetic version. They're not using the genuine oud. So, and there's nothing wrong with synthetic at all. It's all part of the creative process. Um, however, people that really understand oud, that are big, you know, um, experts or fans of it, can tell the difference in, you know, the real thing. And so, which is why we have such a huge following of um, people from the Middle East, because they knew immediately when they smelled it that we use real oud and we use a lot of it in our perfumes. Um, as far as... Um, I mean, I think the world is becoming more and more aware of sus- being sustainable, and I think there's more and more pressure. The only thing that um, is something to consider is that there's, you need, for any kind of farming, any kind of agriculture, it's a matter of being able to get the land. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's everybody wants the land for something else. So whether it's real estate development, Or whether it's for producing food or perfume ingredients, there's only so much land to go around. So that, I think, would be the the thing that I would sort of look at as this this could be a factor, not just for perfume ingredients, but just
0: in general. Mm. And and on a personal note, what was it about Oud and the smell of Oud that really captivated you? You know, it's um, interesting. It's
1: kind of why the reason I named our company Strange Love Because it's strange when you first smell it. I mean, I'd never smelled anything like it. I I was like when the woman who was running, who owned the the farms, had me smell it first, and she was like, "Oh my god, this is this this is precious." And I smelled it, and I was like, "What? Oh my god!" Um, (laughs) But then I developed a you know a real love for it and an appreciation for it, and and I it grew on me so fast, so quickly, and then. It sort of, for me, became almost addictive, like I wanted to keep smelling it. And um, so it is like a strange love. And I thought this is a perfect name for our for our company.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you decided to use Oud as a central pillar in all the scents, were you concerned at all that you wouldn't be able to show the breadth that you would like to? Or was it clear to you from the start that you'd actually be able to achieve variety in the line by um, using different sorts of Oud?
1: Yeah. Okay. That's great. I I love your questions. (laughs) Um, so I, I mean, Oud is an ingredient like sandalwood or, or some of the other or rose even. I mean, I wouldn't put them on the same level because of the price difference, but I considered Oud one of many ingredients. And so I knew that there was like a million ways to combine Oud. Um, A couple of our scents have, you know, you can really tell that there's more oud. Um, Some of the other ones, the oud comes out underneath and basically it acts as an ingredient to fully enrich the scent. It doesn't scream oud. You just feel like, wow, there's this like depth and richness happening here. So that's why um, my goal was to have oud in our collection. And and we use two different kinds of oud in each one. It was also to combine the oud with another rare ingredient to really give it something unique, which again, people in the industry said I was insane to do because of the cost. Um, So, for instance, you know, we use um, sustainable sandalwood with oud in um, dead of night. With Melt My Heart, we use oud and orris butter, which is another extremely expensive ingredient but I combine the two together in um, silence to see we use real ambergris. Um, Yeah. So we use, you know, well, we'll get into that later, but anyway, I combine um, more than one very rare ingredient. And I think that, you know, for me, it, I think it, it's you, I'm not sure if you'd be able to compare our fragrances to another one and say, Oh, this smells just like
0: X. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think oud itself has achieved such a following in particularly Western perfumery in in the last few years? And can that appeal endure? Do you think? Mm, oh
1: yeah. Well, it's just a matter of education and the introduction. I mean, oud has been in the Middle East and Southeast Asia for you know centuries. Mm. Slowly but surely, some perfumers um, in the Western world have started to, you know, a few years back, I think one of the first fragrances that was launched with an oud um, scent was uh, Tom Ford. And um, apparently the story is he smelled somebody was wearing it in an elevator. And he was like, what is that? And then he did some research. Now, of course, then again, this is just something I've heard. But he was one of the first ones to bring it into the Western world. And I mean, I just think that brand is brilliant, by the way. Um, uh, So he has a few that have some oud in it. And I just think it's a matter of, you know, I feel like the further west you get from the Middle East, the less um, perfume is part of the culture of the countries. So, you know, you get into Europe and, yes, France and people have known, but then you start getting closer and closer to the U.S., it's not as big a part, at least like the complicated ones with the power powerful smell. It's not quite um, – it, it, people, I think, in the U.S. are a little bit more interested in things that smell clean, you know, um, and light. So it's just taking time. But I, I definitely think it has um, durability. And I think that the, when people first smell it, I mean, they, I think they stick with oud. I mean, they love it. There's a, there's a huge um, underground culture of um, Ood. They're called, they call themselves oudics <laughs> And uh, they're big followers of ours on Instagram. And, um, you know, they, I mean, they have regular sort of forums and they tell each other about their discoveries and that's growing in the United States. So, I mean, I think it's only going to grow and grow. And I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's a passing fad. It's, it'd be like saying, you know, rose ingredient is a passing fad.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Strange Love currently has five fragrances in the line. Do you plan on adding any more to that? So, yes, um, we have a lot of plants
1: in the future. And, yes, oud is so, is an ingredient that I love. And I think there's we'll always be adding to that oud collection. We may do another collection down the road that has a different hero, in, rare ingredient. Um, we got sort of held back um, thanks to COVID. Mm. So we put everything on hold, but we're we're getting going again. Um, we've got a lot of really great plans ahead of us. We did just, we, you know, we also do the perfume oils. So that's another market that's growing as well. A lot of people... You know, again, it's a small market, but it's, it's starting to grow in a pretty big way. I can tell by our sales um, in the UK and in the Middle East. Um, so we're one of the few brand, niche brands out there that offer a pure perfume oil. And then we launched last year a, a dead of night body oil. So we have it in a classic and in a luminizing. So it's got some gold shimmer to it. And that's been doing really well.
0: So we're going to expand
1: with that with our other scents
0: too. Fantastic. I love the way that there was just little hints of teasing in there, you know, so we, we're all going to be um, watching and listening with bated breath as to what comes next. Yeah. So on onto the, the strange love line itself, if you were going to suggest one of the scents for somebody who was new to Oud and wanted a, a gentle introduction, which one would you start them off smelling?
1: I think I'd start off with melt my heart. That's our gourmand. Um, the oud is there, but it doesn't jump out at you, um, but it develops over time and it it's got sort of a, a beautiful chocolate and mandarin orange. This is the one with the orris butter. So it has a nice powdery dry down to it. And then I guess the next one I would, I would suggest is lost in flowers.
0: Mm. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Melt My Heart because that was one of the ones that really leapt out at me mm. and what I found really surprising about it was I really don't I'm not a huge Irish devotee or Oris devotee um and I thought I'll probably like that one least but actually mm-hmm. it's so multifaceted it's so complex um and it it did you know it did really win me over that one and I um I've really enjoyed wearing it. I what I also like about the way it wears, it surrounds you in an aura of scent. It's not screamy. It's you know it's clearly big and characterful, and and people have complimented you know me on it as I've been wearing it. But it's like a kind of aura. It, you just feel like you're glowing when you wear it, and I think that's quite special. Really, there's something about the luxury of that auris combined with the luxury of that oud that just feels so sumptuous um so oh, yeah. yeah that's what people say they feel like it's um
1: envelops you it's like a cozy um it's also very sexy mm. yeah but,
0: definitely a gorgeous yeah. so if you know the opposite end of that if you were going to recommend one of the scents to somebody who is a complete oudict um which is a new term for me but I really like it
1: um, <laughs>
0: you know, the proper hardcore oud fans, which one would you tell them to go for?
1: I'd say Dead of Night for sure. That's the one, that was our first one that we launched and that's the one, it's actually become quite well known in the Middle East. Um, people travel from all over the Middle East to find us in the EU. Um, we're actually only in one store in the Middle East right now anyway, so they really need to, so I'd say that one um, And then the second one would be fall into stars because that also has quite a lot of oud in it. It's more of an oriental spicy, Uh, but those would be the two.
0: Mm. And which one of the scents do you wear the most?
1: Mm. You know, you can't ask me that. It's like (laughs) my favorite child is. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly wear all of them. I really do because I have them at my fingertips. So it depends on my mood that day. Um, and then I wear, I, I also layer them. So I'll do like four sprays of dead of night and two sprays of lost in flowers. Um, you know, so it just depends. I, I sprayed in my hair, I sprayed on my clothes, you know, I might as well have been raised in the Middle East the way I wear. (laughs) perfume.
0: So one of the fragrances I wanted to um, pick up on and talk about is Silence the Sea. Um, And I wanted to pick up on this one because, to my mind, it's one of the most challenging and it's the most out there of the whole collection. Um, It's so incredibly briny, seaweedy and totally evocative of a walk on a really cold, windswept beach with drizzle and, you know, that whole really strong, olfactive experience. Could you talk a little bit about how that fragrance came into being?
1: Well, yeah, of course. Um, it. I wanted to do a marine scent, and so I. I guess my influencer, what in my head, and the way it sort of came about. Well, first of all, I looked for a very rare ingredient to put in with the oud, and I found ambergris, which is extraordinarily rare. Um, and I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and so my memory of the ocean is basically the deep ocean that crashes up against the rainforest. So when I would go and play as a little girl on the beaches there, it wasn't like white sandy beaches with the smell of suntan lotion it was like barnacles and kelp and mussels and, you know, and the water was freezing and it took an hour and a half to get in the water. (laughs) So, and, you know, it often had been raining that day or the night before. And so the woods, you know, were damp. And so that's sort of my, my kind of a memory of or thoughts of what a Marine scent would be. And of course I described it to Christophe and, you know, this was, this, truly is the most challenging of the five cents and it's i love that it is and i love the comments that we get and because i absolutely if everybody liked all our fragrances i would think i'm doing something wrong to be honest with you because i really want to be thought-provoking and people can love one and hate the other one and and that makes me happy you know I, i just that's kind of how i look at this um but this one definitely is polarizing, and it's true. Either somebody, the people that like it, are like, "Oh my God, I love this so much, I can't stop." The, and it's and it's actually having a, a resurgence of people discovering silence to see again because one or two um, influencers or reviewers, very well-known reviewers, have been talking about it, and so people are now coming back and trying it. So it definitely has the ambergris and the oud, and then there's like um, a salty jasmine in there, and there's like seaweed, and there's some um, truffle in it. Some frankincense gives it that spice, um, and, um, and 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 I love wearing it, but I do have to be in a certain mood to wear it. When I smell it on other people, I'm like, oh my God, I love that. You're wearing silence to see it smells so good. So, and I will point in in this one, because we do do the perfume oil. This is the scent that has the most difference between the spray and the perfume oil. The spray is a little sharper. The perfume oil is much softer which I find interesting. And I, it's just a matter of the ingredients and the combination and the base of an oil compared to the base of an alcohol. It's mm. interesting.
0: Yeah. I think if somebody's looking for a seaside fragrance that is bracing rather than holiday, warm beach yeah. type vibes, it, it's definitely, it's got to be up there with the the most evocative of that that I've smelled, which is, you know, and there's, there's a few of them about, but that is so much
1: yeah it's, it's intriguing cute. though i know your are yeah.
0: oh god i need to smell this now <laughs> <laughs> we'll invent a smelly podcast next <laughs> oh, yes and, and sort of at the op- opposite end of the spectrum really um it feels to me that lost in flowers is totally different um the the floral bouquet that's in that is very gentle or, or much certainly much more gentle um, I wondered if there was any specific challenges with bringing that to market you know and and having the oud balance with that floral aspect
1: um yeah well it takes honestly it takes us about a full year of testing to come up with one scent so that's because there's there's so many ingredients in the fragrances I mean we only list a few but there's hundreds in there And that's all part of the balancing. So and working with when I decide that I've found another main ingredient I want to use, then how do we make sure it works well with the oud and the other ingredients? So I did some research. I wanted to do a floral, but I'm not somebody that is that gravitates to a sweet fragrance. So I wanted to do a floral that wasn't sweet. So then I started looking at some ingredients, and I found an ingredient called uh, red champaka It comes from India, which is very rare. And I did some research on the, the history of that. And um, hundreds of years ago, and even to today, that oil, the red champaka oil, is known as the joy oil. And it's used as an antidepressant in aromatherapy. So I thought, okay, definitely, I'm having a joy oil in... <laughs> into Lost in Flowers. That is like, so that was sort of the direction that we went on immediately. And then, you know, we added also uh, an ingredient. It's called gardenia, but we use the gardenia enfleurage, which is a different distillation technique. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's pretty rare now because it's more expensive and it's, and it's being phased out. But I found a beautiful farm in Colombia that still does the enfleurage technique and that really gives the richness and the like the depth along with the other ingredients it just makes it so so much fuller Mm. we added some french moss to it and i feel that that gives it that hint of the green stem Mm. so i just wanted an explosion of floral i mean lost in flowers the story is you know i have a story for each one of our scents too but this is um our tagline is "You found me lost in flowers," and it's basically the story of two people that are at a dinner party, have never met before, and as soon as they start talking, they feel like, "Wow, there's this is pretty amazing." They talk through the night. They go for a walk. The sun starts to come up. The sun rays start to hit um, the dew, and as they look around, they realize that they've they've stopped in a, a field of wildflowers. And the scents are starting to explode because the sun is coming up. Hmm. And that's why we say, you found me lost in flowers.
0: <laughs> I love it. It's so romantic. <laughs> I know. I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so, sort of Zooming out from the brand, hmm. um, more broadly, what do you think the challenges are for the perfumery market at the moment? Hmm. Well, I mean, COVID is
1: still affecting us. You know the whole supply chain, logistics, shipping is pr- doubled in price. Um, um, I guess the oversaturation of you know hundreds of new brands that get launched every year, on top of the big fragrance houses now have decided that they're going to have their own niche line. Mm-hmm. So now that's that's been thrown into you know this this sector of the market. I mean, I don't even call us a niche house anymore because it doesn't mean what it used to mean. I We're an independent house. Because when you get, you know, uh, Chanel or Estee Lauder or, or Hermes or somebody and they, they've launched a niche line, I mean, that's a powerful house there. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's like it takes on a different meaning now. Yeah. So, you know, there's all that. But I, I always feel like if you have the product – then that speaks for itself. So that's what my focus is, is is the quality and the uniqueness of the product. And also, you know, transparency and being sustainable and standing and integrity and, um, and just standing by that and people will find you. Mm-hmm. And we have some really loyal customers who are regular buyers and send their friends and, I've developed a really nice relationship with a lot of our customers I love I love talking to them and I love emailing them and and they tell me the stories about how they discovered us or when they were wearing their our perfume like what happened to them that day you know it's great
0: yeah yeah that's lovely and and where do you want the brand to be in 10 years time I mean, I'd really like to build the brand up
1: to being known as a really lug, a real luxury brand. Um, like I said, representing authentic luxury with, you know, more collections. Um, and then moving into, like I said, body oils and maybe some other extensions. But really, like the most important thing for me is it. it we can't possibly be a mass brand because we couldn't possibly you know maintain our um quality of ingredients so I'd much rather be a smaller brand granted you know we're exclusive and it's not so easy to find us but just keep you know the integrity of it um and yeah I mean in 10 years if we can continue to do what we're doing and grow maybe maybe one day have our own little store that would be fun for me Mm. know um yeah that 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 that's sort of my goal
0: (laughs) so that's the end of my sort of more formal questions now let's move on to the fun quick fire ones okay so what is your favorite smell Labdomen. oh nice Yeah. yeah if you could go anywhere and smell anything from any point in history where would you go and what would you smell Ah, well, I guess
1: I would go way back thousands of years, maybe to Japan when they were first like discovering, you know, scents and, you know, the scented wood and how they were making the incense. I'd probably love to be a part of that, like the very beginning.
0: Mm. What do you think fear smells like? Fear.
1: I mean, something that's going to knock you off your feet. I guess. I mean, I, 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 honestly, I, I don't know what fear. Can I ask you what you think fear smells like?
0: There's an REM song where Michael Stipe says um, aluminum because he says aluminum mm-hmm. rather than aluminium, as as I would say. Mm-hmm. Aluminum smells like fear, and I've always thought that's really true. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Like that tinny sort of, um, yeah, that makes, yeah. So that's what I was like, something that knocks you off your feet. That's like so sharp. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, what smell transports you to a strong olfactive memory and where does it take you?
1: Um, well, the first thing I was going to say was what I already mentioned being in Vancouver. So I have to think about like another smell that takes me somewhere. Um, Okay, so it would be carnation. And that takes me to my mother and my grandmother, because they used to, my mother used to have little vials, just those tiny little vials of essential oils. And I always used to love, and some of them, they would be the ones that you could, they're ampules you could break open.
0: Right. For those? I don't actually, but I've seen them in when I mean, I've been reading about perfume stuff. Yeah. I've seen them. Since.
1: And my mother and my grandmother used to have a little collection of those, and I was so fascinated with it. And carnation was one of her favorite scents. It's not one of my favorite scents, but I have a huge appreciation, and the memories come flooding back when I smell it.
0: Yeah, that's that's lovely. Um, what does summer smell of to you? Summer smells of. I mean, I'm going to say um, grill, outdoor grill. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (sighs) What fragrance are you wearing right now?
1: I'm wearing a combination. I'm wearing fall into stars and melt my heart together.
0: Nice. What's your favorite food smell? I guess it might be fresh baked bread, mm. but the bread that has
1: all that butter in it, like a croissant. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. Mm.
1: What smell reminds you of school? I mean, it's going to be like a chalk or a plasticine, like that new booky, plasticky
0: smell. Yeah. School, elementary school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and scientists, if, if scientists were to invent a smellophone, who would you ring first? I would ring you. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that answer. <laughs> that's what you need for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. Well done. Hmm. Um, so finally, if people want to know more about um, the Strange Love brand, where should we send them?
1: Uh, well, uh, they can go straight to my website. I answer all my emails. They can just There's a link on there that is uh, for customer service. And um, I'm I'm thrilled to get any kind of inquiries or if anybody has any questions. I really try to answer everybody personally.
0: Yeah. And that's strangelovenyc.com, isn't it? It is. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and I've really enjoyed listening to your answers. So thank you.
1: I've had such a good time. We can do it again. And when you come to New York, will you please look me up?
0: Oh, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. The Sniff Perfume Podcast is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram, at the Sniff website, or Twitter with the same handle. If you'd like to support our work, please find me on Buy Me A Coffee. The web address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash the Sniff. Our guest today was Elizabeth Gaines from the US-based brand Strangelove. We weren't paid in cash or in kind to feature this brand. We have, however, received samples from the brand in the past so we could try the scents out. Thanks very much for listening.